Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host and film critic, uh, Sean Patrick. With me is my co-host, Jeff Lassiter. Hey, guys. What's up? Join us on, uh, of course, anywhere you can listen to podcasts and, of course, at Critics Pod on Twitter. On uh, The Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast is uh, pretty much anywhere where you can find us on all the various social medias. Um, uh, not on TikTok, I don't think, but <laughs> not not because anybody's anti-TikTok. It's just, you know, it's none of us... Chinese spyware! You none kids. of us really know how to do it. <laughs> Nobody wants to see a video of me. Come on. <laughs> That's uh, the whole reason Bob's been so busy. Oh, is it? <laughs> and yeah, he's like, oh, God, we got to put this ugly mug on YouTube. Come on. Uh, so today, as we're recording, the Academy Award nominations were announced, uh, with uh, the best news being that Everything Everywhere All at Once received uh, 11 nominations, more nominations than any other. I think it deserved around 15, but that's just me. I uh, should have got production design. I'm just saying. Should have got costumes. Just saying. Makeup. Should have got that, too. Just saying. But nevertheless, it got 11. It was the most. And of course, when you get so much good, there has to be plenty of bad. And I'm going to start, Jeff, with the bad being just a reflection of just how old the Academy is. That uh, All Quiet on the Western Front received six, seven, eight nominations, something like that. I'm I'm pretty sure that most of the Academy is old enough to remember when the 1930 version came out. And that <laughs> kind of explains how this happened. Come on, they think this is a documentary. That's how long they've been around. <laughs> Many of them fought in World War One, and so this was really relatable to them. <laughs> That's just how old they are. Honestly, I Bob and I both uh, turned off all quiet on so the did I. Front. You did too. That was the first week I was on the show, and that was I was like I I got fifteen minutes into it. I'm like, you know what? It's not worth it. Yeah, it's like three hours long. It's incredibly boring. I uh, I just I don't obviously this has got to do with the age of the academy uh just how old they are because I mean I, I've heard no one other than the academy talk about this movie it's not received I don't think it received a single aside from maybe best foreign film it might not have received any critic choice awards aside from that one uh, I don't think it was in the golden globe conversation of course the golden globes are useless anyway but uh, regardless, it's not been a part of the award season until right now. And then the Academy gives its seven or eight nominations. Totally bizarre. Yeah, I I pride myself in, you know, like being able to see each of the best picture nominees. I'm not going to this year. I just if that is and that's a big reason why, because of the fact that I I just I could not do that again i've seen that movie you know several times <laughs> i mean <laughs> i'm not gonna watch it again just because it's on netflix and i made it 30 i made it in i made it 30 minutes in and it was like no nah, i'm good i'm gonna go do something else and i count that as having seen it honestly because i did i'm not gonna there's no possible way it was gonna get any different or better for me i was not gonna become more engaged in it after i've been so disengaged for the first 30 minutes so 
I, I I was baffled by it. I truly am baffled by the idea that they that they chose that. But there's an even bigger what the fuck today because somebody in the academy is also enough apparently to think that they're paying tribute to Marilyn Monroe by by nominating Anna Diarmas for the worst movie of 2022, Blonde. And yes, it was the worst movie of 2022. I know there were a lot of bad movies in 2022. Uh, that maybe flew under the radar. We watched a movie called Welcome to Brown Town that is a pretty execrable movie on its own. But like, I still say that that movie is better than Blonde just because it's not a hate crime against a person who's not here to defend herself. Yeah, I... So we all know that my favorite movie of the year was Pearl. Yeah. And the masterclass in acting that Mia Goff gave in that movie did not get a nomination because it's a horror movie technically mm-hmm. i guess oh yeah, oh, yeah it's horror adjacent let's it's it's more of a character study and it was a beautiful character study mm-hmm. and the fact that she and anna, anna de vagina gets a nomination but <laughs> but mia goth who turned in quite honestly one of the best performances i've seen in the last five years at least since tony collette's and hereditary doesn't even get a nomination yeah. and let me make it clear for a horror movie, a nomination is a win. True. Very, and very true. The, you know, I, I just, I, I, I knew this was, I knew this would happen. I didn't, the only person I knew who would be definitely be nominated would be, was going to be Michelle Yeoh, mm-hmm. who totally deserves it. And I hope she wins because I, at this point, it's like the disrespect yeah. <laughs> for me, I got. <laughs> Are you know, you? and not even not even just for per- for Pearl. She turned in two amazing, three amazing performances this year. Yeah, in two different movies. Oh, I agree. She played Pearl in two movies, and she played Maxine in one, soon to be two. I mean, come on. Hmm. I, I'm yeah. I'm really like the more I think about it, the matter I get, and the less respect I have for the Academy Awards in general. Because I guarantee, while they're spending three hours watching All Quiet on the Western Front, they didn't spend ten minutes watching Pearl. You know, that's that. I guarantee that. <sighs> I yeah, I mean, and again, you go that that goes to the age of the Academy. Absolutely. You know, I'm sure Kim Novak's not going to be like, oh, let's watch Pearl. <laughs> Quiet, All Quiet on the Western Front. I remember those four or five other movies of that. So. <laughs> I recognize that title. Uh, <laughs> all I I imagine all of the uh, the Academy Awards, uh, the older Academy Awards voters, the ones who still make up a portion of the majority, are like the voters and distinguished gentlemen who just vote for the guy whose name they recognize. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's and that is ninety percent of voting. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, how else does this kind of stuff happen? <sighs> But I mean, I was I was relatively happy with the other stuff, although Avatar best picture kind of what I guess that get I guess you got to reward success or whatever. That's just what they do. I don't get all the love for Elvis. Elvis has just not been like I I love Baz Luhrmann. I've loved a lot of Baz Luhrmann movies. That one kind of I don't know. It's like his it's like his most accessible movie. So that makes kind of sense that it's like his country music. Uh, in a way, like just that movie that that can please more people as opposed to like Moulin Rouge, which is a little bit more divisive, or Romeo and Juliet is a lot more divisive. 
so I guess that kind of makes sense. It's just not one for me. I love Banshees of Aaron Sharon. I'm glad to see that one get a Best Picture nominee. Tar, of course, absolutely deserving. Uh, I would argue that Top Gun is deserving as well. Triangle of Sadness, uh, I'm, that, that one is super divisive. I'm shocked that I ever got anywhere near the Academy Award, let alone a Best Picture nomination, but it gets one. Weird. And Women Talking, which is finally coming here this weekend. Jeff, you'll finally be able to see it. Oh, good. It'll be here on Friday. Good, good. Um, I, <clears throat> while we're talking about awards nominations, mm-hmm. I would also like to bring up, and I forgot to tell you this ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> I want to bring up the Razzies and what the fuck they just did again. What they do. They nominated for Worst Actress, Ryan Kira Armstrong for Firestarter. Yes, that movie was a piece of shit. Yes, that movie did not deserve to be made. However, she's a 12-year-old, 11-year-old girl. Yeah. They did the same thing to Jake Lloyd. Mm-hmm. And look how that turned out. Yeah, no, there should yeah, be... I mean, there should be like when it comes to them and you're just being snarky asshats in the first place. Why are you nominating kids? Yeah, I think uh, Joe Russo from uh, who's a horror director and uh, podcast producer. He said the Razzies have sunk to a new low by nominating an 11 year old girl whose performance I actually dug. She was pretty good in it for what she was given. Mm-hmm. If you're going to continue dem- denigrating people's hard work, which you shouldn't, at least target adults. And he's absolutely fucking right. Well said. Absolutely. Yeah. There's just there's no justification for this whatsoever. None whatsoever. I mean, they did it to Brooke Shields when in, you know, when mm-hmm. she was a teenager. They did it to Jake Lloyd, who was eight when he was Anakin Skywalker. And granted, yeah. he is he, you know, he did not turn in the per- perfect performance. He but was also eight. <laughs> he was eight years old and George Lucas was directing him. Say yeah. what you want. George Lucas is no. He doesn't Stanley direct Cooper. actors. Well, he directs, he directs scenery better. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's just like, you know what? I, I was, I thought, I thought that, you know, that that was going to be the worst award show thing of the week. And then they failed to nominate me a goth for Pearl. So. Well, and then they, and they did nominate Anna Diarmas. So. Anna the Armas is not is the least offensive thing about Blonde. She she is uh, definitely delivering something there. She's trying to deliver something there that uh, the director is just like, yeah, great, whatever. But I'm here to insult and assassinate this woman, and you're getting in the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Anna the Armas is she's great i loved her in you know um knives out and mm-hmm. i just love her generally she's making just, terrible choices these days i mean she made that yeah, movie what? with ben affleck and and then blonde i mean she's you know just bad choices in 2022 for her i hope she i hope she fires her agent and finds better things to do with her time because she was well great. she won't because she just got nominated for a fucking academy award <laughs> that's true oh god that's disgusting um I, I love the act, the best actress category. I thought that was fantastic. Aside from Anna Diarmas, Andrea Reesboro getting a nomination for two Leslie. Bob had that movie in his top ten. I had it as a uh, as a honorable mention. It is phenomenal, and she is more than deserving. And it's really wonderful to see her uh, sneak into this category. 
I you can really Anna Diarmas doesn't belong here. Viola Davis belongs here. Mm-hmm. Viola Davis should be here. I know because Mia Goth, we can agree that that was never going to happen. We both think that's a far better performance than any, any of the five. Put that aside. Of the ones that were actually in this competition, there's no way that Anna Diarmas belongs in this category, and Viola Davis is not here for the Woman right. King. Just, Absolutely, completely agree. Just maddening. Uh, but uh, Best Actor turned out incredibly well. Austin Butler aside, uh, Colin Farrell, <laughs> uh, Paul Paul Meskel, and Bill Nye, three amazing performances that belong here. I think Brendan Fraser is great. I think the movie around him does, lets him down so badly that I don't think he necessarily was in this group for me. Uh, I think yeah. less and less of the whale every time I think of it, <laughs> I get a little bit more annoyed <laughs> with it. And uh, it does definitely drag down my opinion of his performance. I have not seen Tar. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm uh, ambivalent on that. Need, so on that you choice, you need to see Tar. It's I, I, I will. I, I'm, I'm planning on it. I, okay. I, I will. Um, I think I I quite honestly avoided the Fablemans. I think I said that on the show. And that's reasonable. Uh, because I could uh, I could only go th- to so many movies that weekend, and I mm-hmm. thought, oh, I'll just wait for um, for streaming. And I, from what I have seen of Michelle Williams' performance, I love Michelle Williams. I think she is a very very good actor. Mm-hmm. However, from what I saw, her performance was kind of a little twee, a little uh, new girlish to me. Sure. From what I've seen of it, um, I could I could very easily into a best lead actress could very easily plug in Mia Goth and um, Viola Davis in Absolutely. in place of Anna Diarmas and Michelle Williams. Absolutely, one hundred percent. But again, we have to we have to understand Mia Goth was never going to happen. It was never. Shut up, Sean. Let me I have this. <laughs> uh, but I'm saying I'm saying like plugging those two performances in mm-hmm. above Blonde and the Fablemans, I would have been like, you know what? This is a win. <laughs> it's a win for everybody. Um, I do think that Michelle Yeoh will get it. I I think it's um, a, I think it's tough. I think because uh, Kate Blanchett just won the Critics' Choice Award, she pulled the the uh, you know the Golden Globe again. I hate mentioning the Golden Globes because they're such garbage, but uh, in terms of indicators, they they still somehow belong there for some reason. Uh, so I think Kate Blanchett might have kind of an edge going in, but I do think I prefer Michelle Yeoh in my favorite movie of all time, <laughs> Everything Everywhere All at Once. So I do that, think, yeah. unfortunately, that. Um, uh, Stephanie Sue and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis will probably cancel each other out. Yeah, since that seems to happen so much in uh, in the supporting uh, yeah. actor actress. Um, that said, though, if if they do split and Angela Bassett slides in, that's not a bad thing. Oh no, I I will say this: I have not seen the Banshees yet. I will mm-hmm. see it. Um, but everybody in that category, I would be perfectly happy with hong shao and the whale was the best part of the movie to me mm-hmm. uh you know she was kind of the heart of that movie even though brendan fraser is getting all the you know but the accolades for his performance she recall, was the heart 
recall though that she she's an oasis in a sea of shit like she's gonna oh. look a lot better than everybody else in that fucking <laughs> no I, I i but i think off like this, a fucking this year based off of that you know this year between that and the menu mm-hmm. she turned in two of my favorite she was in two of my favorite movies and or two of my favorite performances in movies that i you know i yeah and uh, the menu, by the way, this. a movie that's far more deserving of a Best Picture nomination than Avatar, but never mind, mm-hmm. never mind, it's mm-hmm. fine. No, far Absolutely. more, far more worthy than all the way, all quite on the Western Front. Just saying, just uh, that movie shouldn't <laughs> even be in this conversation. But that's fine. Uh, Best Supporting Actor: Brendan Gleeson, Brian Tyree Henry, Judd Hirsch, Barry Keegan, and Kiwi Kwan. I think everybody knows that Kiwi Kwan is probably going to win this. That he I deserves hope so. it. He's he's the by far favorite, and everybody else is kind of in the running. That said, I'm worried when I see Judd Hirsch there. He his role is so small, but they singled him out, and we both know how old the Academy is. They're like his <laughs> contemporaries. <laughs> like they've they've known him for years. They're gonna they're gonna remember him from ordinary people and go, I vote for him. <laughs> yeah, I I I would at, with the whole story of Kihi Kwan with the, you know, with his story mm-hmm. and his, this big comeback role and whatever, I I think everybody's on his side this year. I think so too. Um, I think there's just too good a story there. And even, even the old people can't, uh, can't ignore it. just the same way they couldn't ignore the movie. And to be able to watch <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and say, Oh, look, it's Academy Award winner. Short round. <laughs> that's wonderful. I, I would just love that. I think that, you know, that's, he is by far, he, talk about the heart and soul of a movie. He was absolutely the heart and soul of every, everything, everywhere, all at once. Truly. Uh, one more note uh, no female directors. Yay. Well done, Surprise. Academy. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, Sarah Polly, you know, can't get in, but uh, Ruben Ostlin gets in there for you know, basically just having people vomit all over the place. Great. Cool. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, again, I think Triangle of Sadness is desperately overrated, especially from a directorial standpoint. Uh, but yeah, you get a, I just, if you're going to slot something in, it should have been Sarah Polly for best director. That should have been, but whatever. Fine. Screw female uh, directors. See, <laughs> um, one bright spot hmm. was that all the beauty and the bloodshed got a nomination. That was nice. That was good. And Fire of Love, which has another documentary I love. Not as much as that one, but definitely both are phenomenal. I was very happy to see both of those. So, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, I shouldn't be surprised. And I shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised when Avatar wins Best Picture. Uh, oh, don't you fucking dare. <laughs> Do not put that out in the universe, Sean. Guaranteed uh, we will be down a host if that wins because you've put that out there. <laughs> and I'm talking about you, the host. Bro, but bro, 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 <laughs> bro, bro, Vitar. Shit, bro. <laughs> that phenomenal screenplay. All right, uh, let's get into uh, other things. Uh, we're both going to mention movies here that uh, n- the other one hasn't seen, but uh, that we want to bring to the show. So I'm going to start with mine. 
which is Invaders from Mars. They sent me a uh, a Blu-ray copy of this uh, 1953 movie uh, from Cameron Menzies as uh, the director. And uh, this movie is so amazing. It's about a little boy who sees aliens land in his backyard on this beach behind his house. The aliens start stealing people and turning them into kind of zombie characters, including both of his parents. Uh but the fun here is that just this is one of those 1950s sci-fi movies where everything is so cheap. And then at the same time, the everybody is so dedicated to how cheap it is that it works. It becomes that wonderful bit of cheese that is just just so tasty. Uh, the 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 fact that they hired like seven foot wrestlers to play the a- aliens dressed in like these green velour sweatshirts. <laughs> Like, to be the aliens and that they hired this little person to put a like a fishbowl over her head and like branches out of her neck to make her the main alien villain just magn- magnificent uh every performance is on point it is hilariously funny but also just it's also incredible because cameron menzies does this amazing bit of direction he's a production designer by by trade and his shot crafting is phenomenal for a guy with no money and really just not much in terms of uh, uh, directorial like experience. Uh, he was mostly a production design guy. He does an amazing job of of dr- of dressing sets that completely empty, but finding the right angle to capture a scene to make it just a little bit more tense and a little bit more visually dynamic. And to see that in a movie this cheap that has aliens in velour tracksuits and like green, green goggles and green face paint, uh, they've got balloons on the wall to like create an alien world. It's I love this movie so much. It made me so happy to watch this. And I'm just so excited to tell more people about it. I definitely want to check that out. It was remade in 1986 with Karen Black and uh, Toby Hooper. Oh, I'm surprised you haven't seen that one. Okay, I, I maybe have. Um, maybe I have. Yeah, I, I remember it in Fangoria magazine. Yeah. <laughs> now that you say that, check it out, please do. It's uh, Ignite Films is the ones who put it out, and they did a spectacular job. Nice. All right. You saw a couple I, movies. Yeah, I saw um, a couple horror movies, um, of course, because <laughs> that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw There's Something Wrong with the Children, which is the story of a couple, a childless couple visiting their friends who have a couple small kids and they go into a, uh, like a cavern and they come out and the kids aren't right. Hmm. There's something wrong with the children. And it just basically follows, you know, like you're not quite sure if, (laughs) if what you're seeing is a hallucination or if it's really happening and there are doppelgangers everywhere or what it's, it's definitely worth seeing. It's got a strong cast. Um, It, it kind of, it goes by quickly. It's much more fleet than I had expected, quite Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, and it was just something that showed up and I was like, Oh, Hey, I think I'll watch that. Um, you know, after I watched the terror train Two remake, whatever on Tubi, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I will. I will literally watch whatever as long as it's a horror movie. So um, and then I watched. What is this? Uh, when did this come out? Uh, this came out. I, I think it was just dropped last week on hmm. uh, on MGM. Well, now I've never heard of it. I think that's where it was. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, I watched a movie called Snowfall or Snowfalls. That was uh, that's an interesting little movie. It was kind of a this group of friends go uh, go to their friend's cabin and you know don't break anything and don't do you know don't mess up the house all that kind of stuff and they get snowed in basically mm-hmm. um, the <sighs> pretty soon they start to you know freeze and do weird stuff and you're not you know you're, I, I don't want to give it away because it was it was kind of a it was kind of a fun little indie um colton tran directed it and wrote it and he's an actor he's been in a bunch of just different uh different roles um surprisingly it was better it was really it was better than i expected based on that and i'm like oh okay he you know he's done like a couple little things but nothing nothing big but and he looks kind of like a himbo so i didn't expect much yeah um it again is it's one of those movies where it's the paranoia and what are you hallucinating and what are you actually seeing and surprisingly surprisingly good a lot of these little horror movies you know these indies you're just kind of like uh, okay whatever but it's a good one especially on on a snowy night like i saw it the other night when it was snowing here hmm. uh, i'm like okay well tonight's a good night to watch that so yeah definitely watch watch it on a cold night very cool very cool and All it's right. only it's only a, an hour and 20 minutes so it's not where is that know, one it's available? Not a big um well, that's a good question because I watched it uh, on a friend's. I think you can rent it mm-hmm. um, on Prime right now, but I watched it on a friend's account. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, of course, we're, this week we came up with a theme because there was only one new movie. So we thought, uh, what the heck? Let's. Uh, Let's come up with a theme week. And this week, the theme is missing. And uh, that's, of course, leads us into our first movie, which was the only theatrical release of the week, Missing, starring Storm Reid, Nia Long, and Ken Lung. Uh, This is a uh, sequel of sorts to Searching with John Cho from a few years ago. And same premise is that you're stuck inside of somebody's computer watching them work, uh, you know, through the through the mystery. And that's not, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I like that in terms of an approach. It certainly worked for me on searching. I really was deeply invested in that. I wanted to be that invested in this. And there's a really good sort of mystery coming about uh, early on in missing. Uh, The idea here is that storm Reed's mom played by Neil long. She goes out on a, uh, a trip with her new boyfriend, Kevin played by Ken Lung. They go to Columbia. Mom doesn't come home. Uh, The, Boyfriend kind of disappears. Uh, is mom dead? Is she alive? And uh, the Storm Reed, her, she's back home trying to figure it all out. Just being breaking into her mom's email, breaking into Kevin's email, 
uh, hiring a guy down in, in in Columbia to go look at evidence that's there. Uh, and all the while, like it's all very intriguing. If you're into true crime, you, one of the things you want to do is like be that person who comes up with something in a crime that could solve it. Like that's part of the fun. Everybody kind of imagines themselves in true crime that way. That said, Jeff, did you notice that really by the when you reach the final act of this movie, nothing that Storm Reed's character actually did mattered? <laughs> like none of the investigation yeah. <laughs> actually plays any role in how this story plays out. <laughs> what so I watched uh searching. I book I went to see this on Sunday morning and mm-hmm. I had purchased my tickets and I woke up at the butt crack of dawn on Sunday and I did not go back to sleep. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna just I'm gonna watch searching again before I go see mm-hmm. uh missing. And I Gonna, I know at some point tonight I'm going to transpose those names because they're. I really was when I heard missing. I'm like, wait, wasn't that the other one with John Cho? No, that's <laughs> okay. Search it. Right. Um, it has a lot of the same beats in it, but like a like any sequel, it's a little lesser. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I was completely invested in it, and I. Until about three quarters of the way, I did not know where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that Storm Reed was really good in it. But yeah, she didn't do anything. Nothing she did would have changed the outcome. The the Yeah, the ending negates all the good work that she's doing. Like uh, all, all the stuff she's doing is the right thing to do. She's gathering all the evidence she's you know looking at clues and giving us and the audience a lot of clues to follow and like catalog as you go on which is part of the fun of a movie like this searching did that very well as well did certainly did it probably far better than this but when once you realize that like all this stuff was going to happen regardless of anything that she does it really just blows up what could have been a pretty good movie uh, i mean the main villain First of all, his plot is so dumb. This is a dumb plot. <laughs> like initially it's a great it's a great mystery, but like once you reveal who did it and why and what he was up to, terrible plot. Like it's total nonsense. He didn't have to go to all the trouble that he went to to <laughs> like yeah. Columbia doesn't even need to be a part of this for any reason. Uh you could cut Columbia <laughs> out completely and it changes nothing. Uh why was this main villain dicking around so much if his main point was to get to the one person? You know what I mean? Like I yeah. don't should we spoil it? I don't know. Like I was just going to say let uh let's go ahead and spoil it because yeah, uh, it's okay. <laughs> I, I we were I was always like just a two steps ahead of what the movie was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um because the the dad dies of cancer at the beginning of this movie just like the mom died of cancer in the f- first one, I was like, "Wait, what? Huh?" And to find out that oh, you're supposed to think that, but he's really alive and he's just been in prison and searching for his his long lost daughter and his wife that he abused. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I guess that's a twist, but I kind of figured it out when they kept concentrating on who the Uber driver was. Right. I was like, God, is that the dad? How he the looks mom like the not dad. notice that? 
<laughs> she's getting yeah. in the car. Like, how does she not notice that? Uh, it, it makes her look like a very dumb character that she doesn't recognize this person who she's been hiding from for the past, you know, nearly a decade. Uh, she, you can, you can <laughs> give that to the movie. You can say, okay, she's, you know, she's in a rush because the Uber's mm-hmm. there all of a sudden. And, right. you know, you can give that to the movie, but I, I have driven to the airport in LA. I've driven to LAX and you, you don't have time to, if you're going to make your flight and you're only, you know, like we've got to go, we're going to miss our flight. You don't have time to kidnap somebody, replace her with somebody else that, that I was like, okay, something else, you know, has to have gone on, but then Mm -hmm. nope, that's what they did. Yeah. No. (laughs) And why wouldn't he just kill her? Right? Like, if the whole thing is just to get to his daughter, why not just go get the daughter? She's there alone at the house. Just go get her. That's what you want. Get them to Columbia. (laughs) Then you go and you steal the daughter and the mom and the um, boyfriend come back. Where's the daughter? Mm -hmm. You know, oh, we want a trip to Columbia. What? That's amazing. I get it. He wants he wants to get revenge and get his daughter. So I I, I I get it. But at the same time, why why are we watching Ken Ken Lung in Colombia if it has nothing to do with the plot? Why are we watching yeah. Miguel de Oliveira in you know do what he does in the plot if it doesn't mean anything in the end? Because it doesn't mean anything in the end. He, even they they try to even give him like a hero moment, and he doesn't even get mm-hmm. to be the hero. She's the hero because she did she used her Siri uh, to, to call yeah. the cops through the computer. Did which- you not see that coming from like way back? Kind of, but I don't. I don't actually think you can do that. <laughs> I'm. I. I don't know if you can or not. But I was like, okay. I saw the phone sitting there, mm-hmm. and her laptop battery was dying. I'm like, okay, she's gonna say, "Hey Siri," yeah, because the mom kept saying that, and they made that point several right. times. And as soon as I saw the phone sitting there, mm-hmm. and she was like, "Where's your phone? What's it's back home? Oh wait a minute. Oh my god. The you know the video camera is." I was like, oh, that's what she's going to do. And then she didn't do it. Yeah. She called the WhatsApp uh, from her computer instead. And I was like, girl, your phone is sitting there and it is fully charged. <laughs> that's when I knew they were like, oh, okay, they're eventually going to get to that. But they mm-hmm. they took their sweet time. Yeah. At least but, make that character relevant, though. Like if Miguel de, de Oliveira's character, like let him be the hero in that moment. Just to give him something to do, justify yeah. why he's there, because otherwise you've completely negated him. You completely negated Ken Lung, who doesn't have really hardly anything to do with this plot. I, I, why, why they went to all the trouble with with his character, I have no idea. I uh, like the whole plot is just negated by their choice of villain and his motivation, and. Yeah, it just, it just really it really dragged down what what could have been a pretty good movie because there's a great idea there. There's a great notion there about, uh, you know, like a true like I was saying about true crime, like you you want to be the person to solve it. And she just happens to have some skin in this game trying to save her mom. But it's like that's the yeah. kind of true crime thing that people want to do, which is like, I want to look at this piece of evidence, this piece of evidence and put it all together. And you're putting a puzzle piece together. You're putting this puzzle together in your head of what you're cataloging all the evidence of what might be the case. And then they just take it away from you with this terrible, awful ending. It's just it's just no good. And it negates all that was good before it. 
Yeah. I I just I I wish that it had been the mom and Ken Long trying to find her and then finding out what was going on with the with the dad, you know? Yeah. That would have been it would have made it makes much more sense. Absolutely. They go away for a week and he's got her for a week. And then you can watch like him him on the video uh, him on the security cameras talking to his daughter and they find that and they see some of that and I don't know, I just it it was a good idea, but there it was way too convoluted for what you ended up with. Our next movie, Jeff, is uh, far worse than missing. It makes missing look like an Academy Award winner. Uh, we're going to talk about Megan is Missing, which is kind of appropriate. You know, the most popular movie of the moment is <laughs> Megan. And the other movie we just talked about is Missing. So there you go. <laughs> we, we've nailed it. As it uh, should be. Megan is Missing uh, came out in 2011, but didn't uh, didn't actually make much of a dent. I didn't even know it existed, honestly. I And I'm you know, pretty plugged in. Even back in 2011, I was writing about every movie that came out. And I, I have no memory of this movie ever existing. Uh, it wasn't until 2020 when people on TikTok found it and started talking about it. And uh, that got people going on it. Uh, Megan is Missing, directed by Michael Goy. Uh, starring people who have n- didn't act before and have not acted since <laughs> for various different reasons. Megan is Missing is a supremely <laughs> dull, poorly made found footage movie about teenagers who uh, you know, get into get into some hijinks on the Internet and end up, uh, well, being tortured to death. Uh, this movie may or may not have starred actual teenagers who are put into these uh, perilous situations and is are justified by the director as being a, a cautionary tale about this and not, not just my fetish filmed for me to masturbate to later. Uh, which I, I would argue that's probably what it really is. Um, this movie is just, it, it's, it's bad in, in so many different ways, it's bad in multiple ways. It's poorly made, but it's also just morally reprehensible on top of being poorly made. And it's, you should have one or the other, be morally reprehensible or poorly made. Try to pick just one of those if you can. And he picked both. <laughs> I I truly hated this. I hated the entire experience of this. Uh, I hate that, uh, that, that this movie ever got any attention whatsoever. I hate that we're giving it attention now. And I wish I had, not uh decided to to do this to us uh man how had you had you heard of this movie before uh, you, you owe me four bucks <laughs> when I, did you learn about I making think this i had heard about it i think i think i heard about it back in the day but i didn't i never saw it until mm-hmm. this weekend um, when I watched it for the show, I just, I, I think it was because I was so over found footage, especially found footage that looks like it was shot on the best cameras that you can get at the time, <laughs> like all of it, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, we've got this high def camera. So we'll just shoot the entire thing. Oh, I'm I'm a 15 year old girl and I've got a high def camera. Okay, sure. My webcam is a high def camera. Okay, great. Um, I think it had a few like okay parts to it, but nothing 
there's nothing really redeemable about it. It just, it, it was, it, it seemed to be just like, especially the end, the last 10 minutes of it were just torture porn for torture porn's sake. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that whole scene where he's got the girl in the barrel and he's, she's like banging on it to get out and he just buries her and you see the entire burial. Mm-hmm. That should have been like the scene where they strangle Carrie Mulligan in um, Promising Young Woman, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was just like I'm like this is disgusting. It, it's it, it's just, not it's you know this about, it's like yeah. watching a snuff film and it was it didn't have anything redeeming about it. Yeah, Promising yeah. Young Woman, uh, like the, so, there's a per- no, I didn't like purpose it, you know, to that, you know. Like I, I loved that movie because the, that ending is bold and dangerous and completely unexpected, and also plays into you know the the actual you know victory of that character in the end. Uh, so the, it, it justifies itself. It justifies why it's there. This movie has no justification for itself whatsoever. I know he's trying. He tried to claim at the time, and he tried to claim again in 2020 when the movie became popular that that this was his way of trying to warn teenagers about the dangers of the internet but i think we're all pretty well aware of stranger danger we've been aware of stranger danger since you know <laughs> the, the 1980s i think is when we were aware of it you don't need to torture you know actual teenagers to actually show us that um uh it's it's really just gross and disgusting and pointless and even the the bits that are intended to be shocking, they're shocking, but they're shocking in that you're kind of wondering what's wrong with this director that he thought of that. Uh, it reminded me a lot of like my earliest experiences of Eli Roth, where I just watched those movies, just like going, like why would you do that? Why would you put that on screen? Like why would you <laughs> share that with the world? Uh, uh, I, I still wonder that about Eli Roth most of the time, but but he at least has a visual flair. <laughs> yeah, at, at the very least, he, he's certainly better a better director than Michael Goy. Who you Eli know, Roth at least has a he has a what? <laughs> he I I was just going to say he has a certain you know gift for staging scenes and things. Whereas this was just, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to improv the whole movie and go. Yeah. So I don't really have any idea like how to make this movie. So we're just going to, you know, make up a bunch of dialogue that uh, sounds like I think teenagers talk and uh, you know, we're just kind of capture some footage that, uh, that wouldn't actually exist or be captured. And uh, (laughs) not not explain anything and just kind of slap it all together and we'll shock people by putting teenagers in their underwear being tortured and raped that's the that's the that's the thing here because that's the part i really enjoy mm-hmm. i don't know that that's what michael goy feels but watch the movie the movie is the evidence here <laughs> it speaks for itself he didn't have to film that he didn't have to film yeah. a 14 year old girl being raped he didn't have to do that he did it he chose to do it. He chose to torture her for the final 20 minutes of the movie. That was his choice. He didn't have to do any of this. Um, you know, you want to ch- talk about the dangers of the internet, make a documentary. Don't just don't just put your your sick, twisted rape fantasy on, on film. How about that? How about we don't do that? That'd be that'd be good. 
Uh, it, it's just, it's gross. It's disgusting. It's wrong. Uh, it shouldn't exist. And and Michael Goy should be embarrassed, uh, not, not uh, taking a victory lap. Um, and I think my point is made about what a terrible director is that he's never directed another feature film. He, he directs TV. Uh, I don't know if he's any good at that, but he does it. He's done it well for the, he's done it for the past, you know, 15 years. Uh, but TV is a different medium. It's also one where you you can't just take your masturbation fantasies and put them on screen unless you're actually Ryan Murphy. Then uh, <laughs> you can do that. But you, for Michael Goy, at the level oh, that he's shots at, fired. <laughs> the level that he's at, he has to go through producers. He has to go through Ryan Murphy, the showrunner. He's got to go through the writers. He doesn't have the kind of control that, say, a low-budget director does in this case he had every opportunity to not do what he does in megan is missing but he was there was nobody there to stop him from doing that whereas working in the medium of television there are layers upon layers all the way up to you know a network or a a streaming service that goes we're not putting that on tv (laughs) you know uh there was nobody to stop him on the set of megan is missing (laughs) and that's very 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 clear Any final thoughts on Megan is missing? Yeah, hated it. <laughs> it's so awful. Um, it would have been better if it had started Megan. <laughs> I was rooting for Megan to show up and really just, just to save that, change the whole thing, murder the director. Uh, <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a movie I, don't I would like, like what to you're watch. Doing to these girls, Joe. <laughs> how about we? How about we put you in a barrel? Yeah, yeah. That that would make that would be a Megan movie. I that would enjoy. Would be better. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, our classic uh, <laughs> missing movie is Night Moves from 1975, directed by Arthur Penn. Written by Alan Sharp, starring Gene Hackman and Melanie Griffith. Uh, it's a detective story uh, in in the vein of kind of a Philip Marlowe idea, but very 1970s. Uh, Gene Hackman is hired to uh, locate the daughter of a rich actress who well past her prime. Uh, her daughter, played by Melanie Griffith, Deli, is a uh, an heiress to be, and uh, the mom wants her back so she can maybe try to steal her money. Uh, meanwhile, Delhi, we don't know where she went, and Gene Hackman has to go find her, and uh, that leads him through various different low-life characters that he has to navigate around to get to where the girl is, and then to bring her home, and whether or not it's the right thing to actually do that. Uh, meanwhile, the, the movie kind of pauses here and there to focus on Gene Hackman's marriage, which is in trouble. He's married to Susan Clark, who is, the, of course, the mom on Webster. I saw way too much of the mama from my in this movie. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, wow. Um, uh, I yeah, I I really remember when they went this. out to the woods in the shack, and they she was the one who was going to bang all the boys. Oh, I didn't know that because I don't really remember much of Porky's beyond the parts that I yep. I, I I I did I fast forwarded through through some of that movie. Um, <laughs> for, for whatever <laughs> I reason, why? Um. No, I, I really liked Night Moves. I thought the choices too, to though. to in, involve like Gene Hackman's marital stuff uh, was very sort of 1970s. There's this sort of languorous uh, plot that's kind of meandering wherever it kind of wants to go, whatever the fancy is of that moment. 
I thought the the scenes with uh, with him and his wife were really good uh, and really interesting. And that Harris Eulin also introduced in that scene as a man that are, that his uh, wife is seeing. I thought that dynamic was really was really spiky and fun. Uh, then you've got him going to Florida and finding Delhi and uh, her her stepdad and his girlfriend and the relationship that Hackman develops with the girlfriend and the taunting sort of way that Melanie Griffith is a far better version of Megan in Megan is missing <laughs> where she's where she's like uh, she's very dangerous because she doesn't understand how how amazing she is. Um, I, I that movie feels like it. It doesn't necessarily justify like objectifying her, but I don't think Arthur Penn lingers on it. And so I don't mind it so much. I don't think he's trying to exploit her as much, Um, but he's definitely trying to underline a point with her for sure. And I I appreciated the point he was going for. Um, I, I, yeah, I thought this movie was really clever. And even as it is, I think Jeff, that Gene Hackman's character is a terrible private eye. I don't think he actually accomplishes anything. I love the fact that he seems to completely fail throughout. So that's, and that, I think that's what my problem with this movie was, is I was watching, I was like, he's supposed to be a really good private eye. And he's not doing anything that, a private eye would do he's you know (laughs) he's basically just like trying to hook up with jennifer warren and you know but i'm mad that his wife is hooking up with harris ulan who i didn't know existed before buffy (laughs) um so you know he's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna be mad at my wife for hooking up with this guy who i kind of don't care that they're hooking up but i'm gonna be mad at her about it for a minute and then I'm going to like go hook up with this much younger woman who just because she's there, you know, it's like, it was a revenge. He's fun. not, I yeah, mean, he's not yeah. a particularly good private eye. Well, no. yeah, but <laughs> you know, if you're going to, you got to have your, you got to, you got to have your principles, I guess. I think it, at a certain point he does, he doesn't want what happens to Delhi to happen. He was, he was, he, he once he fully became aware of what the plot was, he tried to do the the right things, but it, it he was just so inept. And I, I thought it was I thought it was very clever to just to allow him that because you know the 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 thesis statement for 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 life for me is that nobody knows anything, and even the most people even the people who portray themselves as the most competent really don't. You can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't predict anything. You can just kind of do your best on a daily basis. And most people are, are as self-involved as a Gene Hack, as Gene Hackman's character. And I think he's incredibly self-involved. I think that's why, that's why he leaves the case temporarily to, to go to Harris Eulen's house, house and have that conversation about his wife when he's supposed to be working this case and finding this girl. I think, I think his self-involvement and his own ego is why he's bad at his job and it's why we end up where we end up at the end. And I appreciate Arthur Penn allowing the story to be that shaggy and, and kind of real. Yeah. I didn't, I did not love the movie. I thought it was good, but it was like the higher, like the higher of the average seventies mm-hmm. movies. Um, it did make me wish that Jennifer Warren had been a bigger star because she's very natural. 
I'm know, telling like, you, yeah, she's that got that kind of I don't know. Seven, <laughs> that conversation about her nipples was <laughs> that that kind of like Joanna really Cassidy. Good. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Just so unexpected you know, and she, strange. Yeah, I was. I was like, wait, what? What did? What? What's going on? <laughs> but I. I mean, I've seen her on you know episodes of Murder She Wrote and stuff like that. And I'm just like, you know what? She should have been. She should have been in more stuff. Mm-hmm. And she hasn't. She's worked kind of like off and on over the years, and um, yeah, I definitely recognize her. But it was because I watch a lot of '70s and '80s TV. <laughs> I, I had a great time watching about the, watching this movie and then writing about this movie and trying to kind of understand what happens at the end. And I don't think you're supposed to really kind of understand anybody's motivation. I think everybody is just so incredibly self-involved and, and making decisions that are solely for themselves that it's really, that's really the, the thesis statement on this movie is that these people are just, are just so into themselves and into their own egos that they can't see around their own desires and that leads them all to being pretty much dead by the end. <laughs> I, I, I kind of appreciated that. I kind of appreciated how that played out. It felt, it felt real to me in that way. Um, and then, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, uh, that I, I do think this is one and of the, one of, one of the great 1970s movies for me, for me. I, I think that none of the characters in this movie would be considered to have the moral high ground. Mm-hmm. You know, even Deli, she know she's she kind of knows what she can get away with, and she's trying to, you know, test her sexuality. And she's supposed she's sixteen in the movie, even though Melanie Griffith was eighteen when she played it. Uh, you know, like taking off her shirt and her pants and whatever right. in front of Gene Hackman, and it's like. She's the she's the only one that comes close to having a moral center. I think he's he has one, but it's fluid. Absolutely. So, yeah, I I, thought, I loved it. Uh, it's available for streaming for anybody who wants to watch it. I definitely I recommend it. I, do you at least recommend it? Yeah, I mean it's worth it's worth watching. I. I wouldn't watch it again, probably, mm-hmm. but it's worth it's worth watching at least once. All right, that's our classic uh, night moves. Again, do uh, do seek that one out. Uh, we'll check out uh, some movies. We'll check out what, at least one of the movies from 1993 that came out this week, because uh, of course the 1993 podcast, uh, everyone's a critic. 93 with myself and MJ and Amy. Uh, this week we watched the movie Hexed, starring Ari Gross and Claudia Christian. And Jeff, do you remember Hexed? This is the only movie in my entire life that I have walked out of the theater. Really? Really? Wow! I went on a date with this guy that I that from my floor in college and we got about uh, I think we got most of the way through it because mm-hmm. we were in there for like you know an hour and 15 minutes and he looked at me he's like 
oh, this is terrible. And I'm like, I would so much rather be doing something else. And so he's like, you want to go? I'm like, okay, yeah, let's go. So we left. We just, we, I've never, ever walked out of another movie besides this one. It made me hate Ari Gross to the point that I could not watch the Ellen show when it was just the Ellen show before she came out. Yeah. I would see him and I was like, God, I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> to the point where at one time I told him on Twitter, I said, I did not like you for years because of Hexed. And he said, that's valid. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. The, the, the idea of this movie, like they take this character, Ari Gross's character, and they make him just the worst human being. Like nobody likes him. All he does is lie. And even when people who are seemingly more obnoxious than he is are picking on him, you're kind of on their side. Cause he's such a dick. And such a liar and such a loser. I uh, Claudia Christian, oh my God, this poor woman. She should be able to retroactively sue whoever made this movie uh, for, for making her look this bad. I don't know if she can act or not. I'm not going to comment on that because I've not seen her do hardly anything other than this. But based off of this and based off the way it's edited... I can't I, I I feel like the editor had a grudge against her and just like I'm gonna take all of the worst takes and just put them in this movie. I'm just gonna make this woman look like a complete tool for for 90 minutes. Uh it, it really does feel like the editor had a grudge. Um the story, I guess, is that Alan Taylor, the, the writer-director, had an idea that he wanted to make sort of a Mel Brooks high anxiety dark comedy. And the studio is like, yeah, we want uh, Naked Gun meets Basic Instinct. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm making this movie. And like, no, you're making Naked Gun meets Basic Instinct. That's what you're making. Uh, and the two sort of fought over those two ideas and ended up where they ended up, which is you've got random ass gags like uh, Claudia Christian's in a hotel room and she's talking about the cheap art on the walls. And it just like the art is a barcode. Because that's the joke, is that it's a barcode, is the art. Yeah. Uh, it's really, there's just several jokes that are mm -hmm. definitely were intended for a movie that's like Naked Gun, but not Naked Gun. But then there's also like everything else is treated as if it's dark comedy. He tricks Claudia Christian's character into sleeping with him. Uh, I mean, th there's so much questionable stuff with it. It's so deeply problematic. It's, I mean... I don't know if you could call it rape because she was definitely into it when they're doing it. But like the way he leads her into it is so fucked up and it's not funny. It's not funny at all. Uh, it's gratuitous entirely and entirely unnecessary. She's going to his apartment in this scene to kill him. That's what she wants to do. This is what this, this character that Claudia Christians plays is an insane character. She's gone there because this person that she's never met is blackmailing her and to having sex with him. Uh, and Ari Gross impersonates that guy and gets her to sleep with him instead, when really all he had to do was get to the apartment and she just tries to kill him. And then you explain the misunderstanding and ha ha ha. And then they go, you know, into the rest of the plot. They throw in this gratuitous sex scene that is just, I mean, you could tell the, the editing is so bad that she was like doing one liners while they're while they're having sex. And they just edited in every single one of her like takes every one of them in short in short bursts that make her just look like a crazy person. 
it's really awful. I really hated this movie so much. And uh, I, I just loved the way that MJ and Amy react to it. You're going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember looking at Jason halfway through. I was like, Is this the dumbest movie you've ever seen? And he goes, it's right about there. And uh, we were not the only people that walked out. We were just the people that walked out the last, you know, like, probably 15 minutes of the movie left. Um, but other people had walked out. How this ever received like a, a Wednesday theatrical. night or something. However, this and ever the received trailer a theatrical was, release. Was funny. And I was like, Oh God, I want to see this. Yeah. Oof. Oof. <laughs> Did you ever see Aspen extreme? So bad. <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, we didn't watch that one for the 93 podcast because I've, I've heard I've heard terrible things about it. Um, I've heard people I appreciate on YouTube talk about how it's just kind of unwatchable, uh, kind of a, a com- just a commercial for snowboarding in the 90s, you know, to the extreme, whatever. Uh, it's a Mountain Dew commercial or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I went to school in Denver yeah. and there were a lot of people who just Oh, I can't wait to see that movie because, you know, it was all, yeah. I mean, a lot of skiers and snowboarders that I went to art school with. So, yeah. Ugh, yeah. But I never saw it because it just, it's not like. 1993 is such a weird year because I like, I thought after Basic Instinct, we're going to calm down a little bit. And then we watched Text and it's somehow worse than, bo- than Body of Evidence. <laughs> I'm like, how is this possible? We've gone from this terrible movie to one that yeah, actually you know finds a way to be worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's shocking. It's shocking. And looking at next week, like our options, we haven't fit, we haven't picked the next uh, next episode yet because we're we're cho- our choices are Blindside, starring Ron Silver, which is an HBO movie about uh, a white couple that kills a Mexican guy while in Mexico on vacation. Which I'm just I'm just anticipating heavy duty racism, just Ooh. just heavy racism. Uh, and, uh, the other Not option is my daughter. The other, the other option is uh, Children of the Corn Two. Oh, you got to pick that one. <laughs> what is that? That one's bad. <laughs> that, that's another one of those. Oh shit! We have to make another one of these because this one made you know four thousand dollars. Yeah. So. so yeah, we're we're kind of at a we're kind of at a loss. Uh, I'm trying to lead them towards Children of the Corn, but it's not working. They seem to be leaning uh, blindside. Um, I, I would like to get away from the erotic thriller, uh, which I assume Blindside probably is. Uh, Rebecca De Mornay, that's who I was trying to remember. <laughs> Rebecca De Mornay and Ron Silver as a as a married couple. I uh, I just have a I have a terrible terrible feeling. <laughs> it does sound kind of familiar. Yeah, there's an HBO movie which surprised me. I thought it was a I thought it was a you know a theatrical, but it's not. It's a HBO film. And that's basically all I know about it. 
I don't think it's based on a true story. All right, well, Jeff, I would hope not. Yeah. All right, Jeff, uh, anything uh, you want to tell people where they can find you and find your stuff? Uh, Yeah, go to uh, my website with all my links. It's just jefflassiter.com. Just you can go to my T public. There's a link there. You can get my new uh, scream six t-shirt before fun world takes it down. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Just got uh, getting ready for some new stuff to debut in a couple weeks with some new stickers and prints, hopefully. So go get them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Next week on the show, we're talking about uh, women talking, we're also going to talk about Infinity Pool. Uh, welcome back, Mia Goth. Happy to see you again on uh, a Brandon Cronenberg Kron- movie, which means uh, it's time to roll out another David Cronenberg classic. We're going to be talking about uh, Rabid. Or, yeah, it's Rabid, right? Rabid, not rabies. Yeah, uh, Rabid, which I've actually seen. And and uh, I'm I'm excited to, to see again and talk about because it's just Cronenberg is amazing. Uh, and, and it's I, free on Prime. Awesome. So you can watch it. If you want to like watch it before we talk about it. That's great to hear. Uh, a lot of his stuff was on Tubi uh, earlier. So I'm glad to hear uh, you know, that, that it's all available. It's becoming so available. 70 stuff. Like, did you see the brood? Oh, I own the brood on uh, yeah, the Criterion movie, collection. That movie's fantastic. And Shivers. I mean, Shivers is one of the all time classics. I love Shivers so much. Is that what uh, Ed Sheeran wrote that song about? <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> oh yes, I'm 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 stupid excited. And the trailer for Infinity Pool looks amazing. Oh. You got to see that that trailer in a theater. I mean, mm. the I I went uh, the other morning when I went to see Missing. I was sitting next to these two Karens, <laughs> and. I was actually the carrot in the situation because I asked them if they were going to talk throughout the entire movie or if they were going to give me a break. Um, <laughs> you know, you're like late thirties, early forties housewives who finally got away from the kids and then just decided instead of going to Starbucks and having a conversation, they were going to talk from the beginning of the Maria Menounos ridiculousness mm-hmm. until about 10 minutes into the movie. Oof. And then I was like, hi, Oh my God. I said, Oh my God. Hi. She goes, hi. I said, are you guys going to talk through the whole movie or just like half of it? <laughs> and they didn't say another word until the end. I was like, I win. I am. I hate that. I hate going to the movies and having people talk through it. Yeah. So I hear you. I hear you. Did I, did I tell you how I ruined, uh, I spoiled scream five for a bunch of people. I think you might have, but go ahead and tell the story. So I, the second t- I did not particularly love Scream 5 or 5 Cream, but I wanted to see it a second time because sometimes you reassess. So I went in the afternoon, middle of the week. Cool. Uh, there was nobody in the theater. There was nobody that had reserved seats. So I got my seat. And then like 10 minutes before the movie starts, these three probably college age kids came and sat with one seat in between us and we're Snapchatting and 
talking and yelling at each other. Not they weren't. They would not. They didn't pay a lick of attention at the screen during the mm-hmm. movie to the point where I said, could you guys be quiet? Okay. Boomer for your information. I'm Gen X. I do not fuck around like a boomer. <laughs> Second of all, do not fuck with me because I do know people that work here and I will get your ass thrown out. Oh, yo, go. Oh, sure. Sure. So then I said, if you guys aren't quiet, I'm going to ruin, I'm going to tell you who dies and who the killer is. Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. So they were quiet for a few minutes and they started up again. I gave them a couple minutes and finally I said, Hey, by the way, we were the only people in the theater. I said, Dewey dies and Amber and the boyfriend are the killers. <laughs> and then I, and they were like, what the fuck, dude? And then I went and got the manager and got them thrown out. <laughs> so in the immortal words of Gail Weathers from Scream 1, do not fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.